high above the African desert, her feet dangled from the open door of an airplane. Thousands of feet below, masses of people must have looked like ants, dancing, partying, and scurrying between row upon row of festival tents and hulking, flaming sculptures. And as the sun began to set, today's guests rolled out into thin air, connected to Earth only by gravity and the wind. Welcome back to the Get Lost Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Sills, freelance journalist for all the usual suspects. Today's guest is a skydiver, mountain climber, snowboarder, mountain biker, and moto enthusiast who has represented brands like Harley Davidson and Can-Am across the planet. If you can risk your life doing it, she's probably a fan. She's a lifelong adventurer, and her name is Natalie Paladin. Natalie, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Thanks for jumping on. I did not realize yeah. it's your first podcast experience. So we're it is it is my first podcast experience. So pardon me if I curse or say something stupid. Cursing is definitely allowed on the show. <laughs> okay, great. The last episode was great. like Matthew McConaughey talking about wet dreams. Shit got weird, okay? Oh, good. Okay, I can be my weird self then. Yeah, feel free. Uh, speaking of weird, are you actually an avocado farmer? Because that's what it says on your social media uh, profile. Yeah, actually, we do. We sell avocados what? to the local market here. Yeah, we have uh, like 120-something avocado trees. What we the harvest fuck? twice a year. Yeah, for sure. We also do citrus. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's amazing. And you're in California? Yeah. yeah, we are in Fallbrook. And how does one get into avocado and citrus farming? Oh, it was just something that we fell into. Just bought a house that happened to have it. I feel like because you're a skydiver, you like they, literally could have fallen into it. And so we're going to get into I death did. defying shit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Death defying shit it is. Yeah. But Avocado for, farming isn't so death defying, is it? I don't know. Maybe <laughs> there's like bacteria and stuff. Um, Getting up top of those trees are. How tall is an avocado tree? Oh God, they they can get huge. Really? Yeah, they can get really big. Ours are almost twenty years old, so they're real they're real grown. You actually want to keep them lower than we do. I like them the way they look. They're so beautiful. <laughs> Let's talk yeah. about all of your crazy adventure pursuits because you like running down that list. There's snowboarding, skydiving, mountain climbing, and it's really a lot of stuff. How? Did you get involved in so many different things? Like what made you want to pursue all of that? I have 
I have no idea. I think as a kid, I used to visualize stuff. And as a kid, I, I skied, you know, I water skied too. My dad, you know, forced me really at a very young age. I was absolutely petrified, but I'm glad he made me do it. Mm -hmm. So just, I kind of got hooked to trying new things and being scared and overcoming it. And then being like decent at it enough to enjoy it. Is it the so thrill of learning way. something new or like the adrenaline you get when you're actually flying through the uh, air or over the water? I don't like it. Actually, I hate when people are like adrenaline junkie. I actually don't like the adrenaline. I prefer not to be scared and be more in that like flow state of things. You want to be That's really why like, calm. But you want to be at a point where you're comfortable enough with what you're doing that it's enjoyable versus you're just shitting your pants. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So... I'm, I enjoy the whole process of going into something new and shitting your pants and then getting to a point where you're like, oh, this is actually kind of fun. I'm not scared anymore. I'm just going to cruise. Can you give me an example of a time that that happened to you? Like when that switch flipped for you? Oh, my God. It happens every single time I do something. Every single time I do something, I first start out doing I am so scared. With skydiving, too, I mean, it took... 50 jumps before I was enjoying myself and wasn't just absolutely petrified. My God. And I broke my ankle within the first 50 jumps. And then I had to get back in there and it was so scary. But you eventually get over it, just like everything. I feel like I could do something once, like when I was learning to scuba dive. That was really scary one or two times. Oh, yeah. Then then you get it. But 50 times, man, that like, how much determination did you have to do that? You have to have a lot of determination. It's a lot of, it's a lot of work. You have to be at the drop zone a lot. You know, the weather's not always letting you go for it. It's yeah. All day. It's hot as hell out there. Mm -hmm. You have to really want it. You spend a lot of time. You spend a lot of money. Do you feel like as a woman that you have to overcome like, uh, certain yeah. obstacles because of that, like gatekeeping stuff? Yeah, of course. The stigma that comes along with it is something else. I mean, every time I go somewhere, I'm treated differently because I'm a woman, right? Yeah, yeah, that's It's a bit, it's a bit annoying. <laughs> There's a lot of times with paragliding, um, I'll show up to a site and they think I'm driving the car. For the boys, like, I'm the shuttle driver. What? And I'm like, and I'm like no, I'm coming to fly with you guys. Really? It's just, yeah, it happens a lot. Edu educate me on more of this. Like, give me some more examples because I know I've talked to diving oh, friends oh. where that happens, but go on. Oh, look, another site here. Um, my husband just started paragliding and I, you know, I'm licensed and mm -hmm. they wanted to give me a tandem flight, which means I'm strapped to someone else. Mm -hmm. But I'm already a licensed paraglider. I've flown all over the place and my husband's never flown before and they just let him go for it and I have to do a tandem. So did you fight them on that? A little, I was a little insulted, but I was like, it'll be fun. And it was fun. I enjoyed the tandem. This guy was going for it. But mm -hmm. it was that idea that maybe I was, because I was a woman, I might not get it. You know, so I need to be extra safe with her and make her do a tandem. I, I don't know. How does that make you feel like when that happens? I mean, I get a little pissed off. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> yeah, right. I feel like I'd want to punch a wall. I do. Well, I mean, yeah, I get a little pissed off, but I'm used to it. I'm actually used to it, and I enjoy proving people wrong. It's kind of fun.
So I want to get down into the the essence of the show today with you, improving people wrong and doing things that are maybe unexpected. Um, and I want to talk to you about a recent trip you had to South Africa where you end up like soaring over the African continent, like a fucking Greek myth, you know? <laughs> Can I'm you call it a Greek I yeah, you want to talk about that one? Yeah, definitely want to talk to you about that one. But before we literally dive into today's adventure, I want to take a quick break to talk to you guys about Parker Prince. Before I was traveling the world, I was sweating it out at Parker Prince. I was a graphic designer, drawing t-shirts, working one-on-one -on -one with customers, and yeah, going into the very, very hot back of a screen printing shop where temperatures would sometimes get well over 100 degrees while we're hammering out order after order. Listen, I speak from firsthand experience when I tell you that Parker Prince is giving people the best customer experience in the t-shirt business. There's none of that anonymous corporate runaround that you get online at other websites. When you order custom shirts from Parker Prince, you are personally taken care of by a member of their family. Whether it's Skylar in the art department, Catherine in production, or Kathy at the top of the totem pole. Parker Prince is the place to call when your business, group, or event needs custom t-shirts. And when you make that call, you know you're going to get the best prices and the best customer service around. Trust me, I know. Not only have I been an intimate part of that process, but I'm still ordering shirts from Parker Prince today for the Get Lost podcast and my D&D group, Thoughthouse Live. By the way, if you are a screen printer in the Memphis area, give them a shout. Parker Prince is currently hiring. You can find them online at parkerprinceonline.com. Back to Natalie and back to the show. I want you to tell us how the trip developed, what was your goal, and then walk us through what actually happened. Just take your time with it and let the audience soak it in. Oh, okay, so yeah, I went to Africa. I think it went for about a month because that's what you want to do if you're going that far. The first week, you're just wrecked when it comes to jet lag. Mm -hmm. So I set aside myself and went for a month. I really had zero expectations. I had no idea what I was getting myself into mm -hmm. whatsoever. I had brought, you know, I was, I brought my wingsuiting stuff and I brought my gear and I just went for it. And I rented a little car and I actually had a Can Am at the time because I was doing a shoot for them. And I also was doing a shoot for Harley at the time, so I had a fat ball out there. I was doing something for Harley Davidson in Cape Town. And then I had this little light car, because in South Africa, there's like, there's these funny little cars that don't drive. So I had these three vehicles, and I was actually sleeping in my best friend's attic on a blow-up mattress <laughs> for a month, just running around, running amok. I learned to pair, I started paragliding on that trip because I thought, what am I gonna do with myself, you know? I was alone out there. So I met this instructor and started learning with him. And then I also went to Africa Burn, which is, you know, just like the burn here, but in Africa, so it's much smaller. Mm -hmm. But they were doing um, some skydiving over the event. Okay, so, so first of all, a lot of questions. A, what is a wingsuit? That sounds like Batman. <laughs> well, you know, they call it like this, you know, a lot of people call it the squirrel suit, mm -hmm. which really is just a brand of a wingsuit. It's those ones you see where you're wearing literally a, a suit. 
that attaches your wingspan to your feet like a wing. And and it covers it's it's like yeah I've seen them I'm just trying to picture for the audience that so you guys if you think about it you've seen people probably on YouTube that just jump they just they just jump out of air, off of things yeah off of things at, out of airplanes and there's like no parachute apparent um, you'll have to explain that later how all of that oh works. yes but, but I get that question a lot how do you land it. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, we, we still have our magic backpacks on. We like to call them the magic backpacks. And then you still pull your pilot chute and a parachute appears, just like any other skydive or base jump. So it's the same way. You still see it because it's like blending into your wingsuit. Okay, know? so you're not like gliding down to the Into landing. <laughs> no, no. That would, um, we'd all explode and die. Yeah, it's I mean, it'd be fun once. Very maybe. difficult to do, yeah. It would definitely be fun. So, and all right, so you've got this wingsuit, and it's like obviously probably in a carry on, or or you have to check that <laughs> back because it's probably pretty big. Yeah, well, the wingsuit breaks down pretty small. Uh huh. You roll it in, tight little bag. But I have like a big gear bag that has all the goodies in it, you know. So it's in your gear bag, and you land in Cape Town, and you just have a menagerie of vehicles at your disposal. <laughs> Yeah, in my little, in my girlfriend's little driveway there, yeah, I had all these vehicles. It was ridiculous, honestly. <laughs> every day, I, every day I'd get up and be like, okay, which one am I going to take today? You know, what activity am I doing and which vehicle is going to get me there? It was funny. It's like, a again, Batman combined with like a Petey Pablo song or something. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Tell me about the experience yeah. of riding uh a motorcycle around South Africa. Oh God, it's probably my favorite place to ride ever, ever. Chapman's Peak is legendary because it's just sheer cliff on the right hand side and it's beautiful views. Cape Town's amazing because you can do an hour ride and the things that you can see along that hour ride are amazing. You know, you can do a big fat loop around the coast there. Mm -hmm. Some amazing riding. I've done, I've been riding there for a couple of years. I was just working on a, a story about the most beautiful places in the world, which is really subjective and impossible. But so many people brought up Chapman's Peak. So can you just yeah. take us on a little cruise like through there, like out of the driveway and then to Chapman's Peak? Yeah, there. you come out, you come through Hout Bay or you can come the other side, which is Simon's Town area. But you come through Hout Bay, it's beautiful because it's ocean and it's this amazing. It's actually a really great base jump is right there. but. There's this amazing rock formation in the bay. So you see that view all the time. Mm -hmm. And you come in and these roads just wrap around. And it's sheer wall on one side. It's been carved in. It's amazing. It looks just beautiful on the right-hand side. Sheer cliff to ocean. And it wraps around this beautiful bay and spits you out into a completely different location. They always, it always looks so different to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and then this beautiful tunnel that you have to go through. It's really neat. And so it's while really you're neat. on this ride, do you like to listen to the engine or you have music? What's going on? I, I'm, a, I'm sneaky. I do the one ear. I uh, listen in the one ear. Yeah. I think that's, I, I listen to music with everything I do, wingsuiting, all that. I always listen to music, but I do one ear. Yeah, it's funny. Like when you logged on to record the podcast, which full disclosure, we do remote, um, there, there was like this Zen aura sound around you, and I'm like, <laughs> like, what the fuck is that? 
I was like, it's my meditation music, man. Zenning out over here, yeah. So you're just like on this avocado farm with Zen music playing all the time. I mean, what a great existence. That yes. Yes, it's very nice. It's my relaxation station. It's very relaxing in my home. And then when I'm out and about, it's a little bit more. I like to get after it and then come home and relax. All right. So back in Africa, you're cruising around Chapman's Peak and mm. um, you're on a bike, whether it's a, a Can-Am or a Harley or a little weird car. Um, yeah. And and you decide, hey, I'm gonna unpack that wingsuit for my bag, and I'm gonna do what now? Huh. So out there's beautiful drop zones all over there. So I was doing a lot of skydiving out there, but it's so different than skydiving here because it's so raw. It's Africa. You really are out in the middle of nowhere. Things are not as organized as it is here. Mm-hmm. And if you were to break your legs off. Um, you're going to be laying there for four hours waiting for someone to rescue you. It's just not the same. It's Africa. This is a saying. It's TIA. This is Africa. And it is just a little bit spicier. So we're out in, I don't know if they had the right equipment if I were to hurt myself out there. Who knows? Mm-hmm. But out in Africa burn, um, there was a few of us skydiving. I was the only one wingsuiting. Wow. And I would just do it all. It was amazing. So, so like if you visualize if you've seen what it looks like from above at the burn here, um, it's amazing. And there's all these tents set up and amazing sculptures and structures and people tripping out on drugs and nude people and all kinds of wild shit going on. Yeah. And to see it from above is kind of a trip. It is kind of a trip. I mean, you're basically talking about a bird's eye view of Burning Man, except it's in Africa, (laughs) which sounds like even more insane. Well, it is a little bit because it's a little, it's a little more raw. Like I said, Burning Man has become very organized and they have people there. If something were to go wrong, Africa, not really. It's kind of go at your own risk and everyone's responsible for themselves. That's why I like it so much. Less babysitting goes on, you know? It's like so many places in the world, um, even like national parks, where you might go in a in another continent, and there's no fences. Yeah. It's just there. Exactly. It's there's no babysitting. We're so controlled here in Africa. It's, it's very, I mean, loose. And I like it. I like I seriously enjoy that so much. What sort of dangers do you face as somebody in a wingsuit? What's inherent well, to that sport? Well, the dangers are really, they don't really come so aggressively with uh, skydiving because you do have the two parachute system, right? Mm-hmm. So let's say you, you do get a lot of line twists with deployments. That's when you pitch your parachute mm-hmm. and your lines can get tangled up just because you have all this fabric and mass instead of, you know, without one. Mm-hmm. It's not as likely. So you do get a lot of line twists and then Sometimes you just can't fight your way out of them. So you have to cut away and then you pull your reserve, which is your backup parachute. Mm -hmm. You just gotta be cautious about when you're making those moves happen. You have to be at a certain altitude. You don't wanna be too low because you will pound in. Um, That's the biggest risk I'd say with skydiving, but with base jumping and wingsuiting, it's highly risky because you just have the one, you know, parachute. Obviously base jumping is just one parachute. That one's a master kind of fucked. So you've um, got one parachute in your magic backpack. Immediately, it's like 50% more dangerous, I guess. Yeah. 
there's there's no well yeah there's no other chance you don't have a backup and typically um, instead of jumping out of a plane i'm really winging this because i don't know shit about <laughs> any of this instead of jumping out of a plane typically you're like jumping off of a mountain or something right well not in i've never done it in a wingsuit i've done it in a two-piece suit um, I haven't gone to wingsuit in the, off the cliff yet. That's a whole nother animal because also not just the parachute, you know, having malfunctions, it's the impact because you can't, you're so close to objects and wingsuiting, um, you know, you can get a little cocky with it because you can get closer to objects, which they call proximity flying, right? Where you see those videos of people skimming really close to the rock and next to the trees. And that's when mistakes can be made. And if you hit going the speed that you're going in order to maintain, you just explode. You know, you just honestly ex explode into a bunch of different pieces. Have so, people done that? Oh my God, all the time. That's how most people are dying in this sport. Is they're exploding into millions of pieces? Because they're hitting things. That's, that's really, really wild to me. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. I, I guess. That's why you can't, you can't make mistakes. You can't make a mistake. What is it about, I'm not being critical, I'm fascinated. What is it about <laughs> these sports like free soloing, like wingsuiting, base jumping, where like the margin of error is zero? What is it that draws people in? We're all a bit cooked, I guess. <laughs> From going to Africa <laughs> Burn? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. Too many mushies at Africa Burn. No, I just think some people are wired a little different. Mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. just think we're, some people are wired a little different. And it's all your some dad's people, fault for the water skiing shit back in the I, I, all the time I blame my father when he's like, you're doing dangerous things. And I look at him, I'm like, whose fault do you think this is? Yeah. <laughs> you know, he didn't treat me like a girl. He would just be like, you better, with water skiing, he'd be like, you better get up out there. We're just going to leave you. Mm -hmm. So there I was, you know, four years old holding on for my life. Yeah. But I, I liked that. And eventually I got to a point in water skiing where it was fun. Mm -hmm. And I was like decent at it. And mm -hmm. it was a good time. So I appreciate that. Yeah, it's 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 so interesting with adventure sports because I've done some mountain biking. Uh, diving is, is somewhat like that. Although I think it's mm -hmm. a lot less like you don't have to be a super athlete to be a diver. You just have to kind of be mentally no, you there. Have to be, you have to be calm. I'm a terrible scuba diver. I get way too jacked about the fact that I'm breathing underwater. Oh, really? Yeah, so you just go oh, through gas? Yeah. Oh, I don't even see the fish. I'm doing barrel rolls. I, I just love it, but I suck. I, I should not be left alone under there. <laughs> I will die. <laughs> I mean, I'm not good at everything. That's for sure. That's definitely not my strong suit, but I enjoy it. It is fun, isn't it? Oh my God. Yeah. To be weightless and, uh, I'm pretty good at it. Cause I'm like naturally very, very calm. Mellow. Yeah. yeah. Just, just super mellow. So when I get under there, um, you know, it's the same deal, but even more. Um, so I, I really, really enjoy it. Although it is scary when people talk about the injuries you can sustain doing that too. Um, yeah, I mean, there's definitely a risk there as well. Yeah. So definitely. I want to go back to this Africa burn thing. And so you get in a plane. Mm -hmm. and it's tiny little putt putt, you know, out there in the middle of the desert. All right. And it only fits a few people. Mm -hmm. 
So you get in the plane in the desert or like in Cape Town and you fly out to the desert? Well, I, I drove out. Okay. I drove out and it's a very intense road and people are constantly blowing their tires because it's so rocky. Mm -hmm. And I, I was going by myself, but I ended up picking up a random girl I had never met. It's always a good idea. A yeah, that poor thing. She she was throwing up the whole way over there, hung over his balls. I never met her. So it was an interesting start to the trip. Uh huh. And I'm just staying in a tent, you know? Everyone's just camping. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, you get into these little tiny Cessnas with the door off. They only fit a few people. Mm -hmm. And then with the wingsuiting, with the little Cessnas, you have to kind of like tuck and roll out of there. So you don't hit the wing, the tail, because that'll be a huge problem. And yeah, you just like kind of dangle your little feet over the edge of the door. I like to do it just a front flip out. And then you open up and you're flying over the entire Africa burn. I'm just in awe of, I'm just in awe of what it must feel like to flip out of an airplane with no door and immediately be soaring like what are you hearing what are you seeing gosh that what i did at least four jumps on that trip and mm -hmm. one particular sticks out to me a lot is the sunset jump Ugh. tell me everything about that that's so gorgeous you come out and it's and the f-born is like this weird u shaped you know everything is in this weird u shape and in the center is where they have all their amazing structures and things they're going to burn down. Mm -hmm. And I've never been to Burning Man, so I didn't really know what to expect. I knew it was going to be weird, um, but I didn't really know what I was getting myself into. Mm -hmm. So you see this image of it, and you want to fly towards it. So with the skydivers that didn't have a wingsuit on, they would go out the door first because they would like to open up directly over where they wanted to pretty much land. Mm -hmm. But with a wingsuit, you can go a mile, you know, you can go far. So you, you like to be flown away from the object you want to land at so you can make that flight over. So I see what I'm, I have to see my little landing in the, you know, all the way down there and aim for that. And you're the only one in a wingsuit, right? Yeah, I'm the only one. I think I'm the only one that's ever wingsuited over Africa, burnt, at least definitely the only woman. So everyone bails and then the plane keeps going and it's just you and that sunset. Yeah. And you roll into the sunset. Yeah, it's so yeah. I definitely that was amazing. And you're just gliding. I, yeah, I'm just picturing it. it. Must have been incredible. It's honestly it's incredibly peaceful. I think people assume it's this incredible rush that you've worked really hard to get to this point where you're comfortable and you're good enough to do things safely. So at this point, it's it's peaceful. You're just you're just one with the world, really. Do you pass birds sometimes? Oh yeah. Well, I under canopy, I'll see birds. I've never really seen birds while in the wingsuit. But base jumping and paragliding, you see birds all the time. So you roll into that sunset, and it's African sunset, which seems like it's better than every other sunset. It burns differently. It burns differently. It's bright and intense. The colors are very vivid. And then below you, you see just an insane scene of 
people dancing and fire. People dancing, and yeah. And I'm coming in to land, and there's just people all around, you know, gathering towards me. And I'm just coming out of the sky. And of course, people are tripping out on God knows what. Can you <laughs> imagine seeing that? <laughs> It'd be like really being in a Hunter S. Thompson book. Yeah. I have like glitter on my face and like pink hair, and I'm just coming in, landing. And people are tripping out. <laughs> Yeah, because out of the sky in the middle of Africa, here's this, like, lady, you know? Yeah, this chick in this big blue suit. Yeah, and you just, like, like this this model just drops out of the sky. Yeah, it was fun. It was fun. That's so fantastic. And when you get on the ground, like, what's the scene? Is this a hero's welcome? People run away from you and cheer? They were were more mellow, you know? They'd be like, where did you come from? (laughs) And I'd be like, the sky, babe! Woo! (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it was more of a peaceful gathering. It was was interesting. How weird. And so, at that point, can you, like, pack your... I was called it the playa. Yeah, no, I meant I'd pack up my things Mm -hmm. in a bag. Because I usually would... um, jump with a, a rolled up backpack in between my wing, my mm-hmm. tail. Mm-hmm. And then I just pack my stuff up and walk back to my tent. <laughs> and then you're there, you're like meld back into the festival. Yeah, then it's back to partying. This is just a mind blowing scene to me. Um, we talk about some crazy stuff on the show, but this is sort of out there in, in my like mind's eye of crazy festival people jumping out of the sky there's just everyone's on drugs everyone's like everyone's on drugs this this nude washing station like a car wash of nude bodies just i'm just like landing next to that what's what's a car (laughs) i have to ask what's a car wash of nude bodies like you you like walk through yeah exactly like you know car wash imagine you just like walk through in a line like a bunch of cattle and they're getting scrubbed and washed by another nude human it's not the it's not the worst idea it's a wild thing to see i didn't know what to expect but i would just like land there and i'm like oh okay (laughs) that's interesting yeah what else did you see there that sticks out in your mind that really, that one really stuck out i think there was orgy tents too yeah i thought that was pretty I think that they had, um, what, what do you what do you call it when there's like scheduled things going on, scheduled activities? Yeah, like tea time of whatever mushrooms was it too? The <laughs> orgy was it for? You know, they had little. <laughs> yeah, it was a trip. <laughs> it was a trip. So, so it's like just a schedule. If you want to go to the orgy, it's in row G, uh, yeah. tent forty-seven. Well, obviously it's, it's, it's tent sixty-nine. Exactly. Yeah. Tent 69 is where they, and then the four, 420 tent was, you know, yeah. the smoke out was at three. They did their little scheduled um, activities of weird shit to do. That's so fantastic. Um, tell, tell us a little bit about just South Africa as a country. I don't think we've done an episode on it. So oh. I'm curious to hear your take um, as an American that, that goes there. What do you see? Um, what's the scene? Well, I might be a bit biased because my entire family is from South Africa. Oh, yeah. um, To me, it's kind of home. So Mm -hmm. I love it there. I love it. I love the rawness. Like I said, I I feel that you are not babysat. And 
people are kinder to each other, if that makes sense. In what ways? Everybody says hello to each other. Everybody smiles. Everyone's courteous with driving, which you wouldn't think so. Mm-hmm. Um, they let you in. There's little gestures we make to one another for thanking you for letting me in. Mm-hmm. You blink the emergency lights. There's just a, they're, they're more polite. Mm-hmm. People speak kindly to one another. Um, I've never seen anyone. I'm not going to lie to you. When I ride my motorcycle out there, I'm a dickhead. I ride like such a dick. I, go up onto the curb, I just do whatever I want to get around whatever I want. And not once has anyone, not once has anyone honked at me or given me the finger, not once. I ask people to move over so I can make it through the traffic. They're completely polite. Everyone is, they, I think they just feel that they are in this world together. You know, they kind of look out for one another more. What do you think that I think the culture's different. from? Because I know, I mean, obviously we can't talk about South Africa and gloss over everything that's happened there in modern history. They have their struggles with... Uh, they have a lot of history there, don't they? It's yeah. insane, deep, dark history that goes on there. Yeah. Do you get a sense that that's healing now? I mean, obviously we have a certain lens and, and it's not a complete picture, but from your view, do you get a sense of that? Yeah, I think they're doing better than America at the moment with that. Uh, I don't see hatred for one another at all. I really don't. That's pretty amazing and astounding. I I don't. I think that they are, everyone's loving and respectful of one another. I mean, racism is a thing, obviously, but you'd be surprised to know that the racism is quite strong between you know the very different colors of races you know that's their they discriminate against one another quite often but honestly i don't see the hate yeah that's interesting the division like you would think i don't know don't see that i think i see a lot of because i've done a lot of work there i did this documentary on AIDS. I've been into these very rural communities. I've seen the people. I've spoken to the people. I've gotten to know a lot of them. Yeah. Tell me about this AIDS documentary because I did not know this. I want to know about your oh, experience yeah. filming that. How, oh, how did that years, change you? Years ago. All right. It was, it was horrible. Dude, I think that was my first introduction into like the influence of the witch doctors and all that kind of stuff in that society. Okay. Because we'd go around and we'd hand out condoms, you know, mm-hmm. and tell them how to wear them and all this stuff. And we'd come back and they would have just nailed them to the door. They believe the evil spirit, the condom will leave, remove the evil spirit of AIDS. And they also believe that if they would, this is terrible, this is heavy stuff. Are you ready for this? Okay. Yeah, that's what we want. They would, okay, we, they would rape um, virgins. Mainly infants, kids, babies. Okay, that's really um, because they thought they thought it would cure them of AIDS. Wow. So that was very eye opening to me because that's not something I really thought. I thought, how are they struggling with this and like spreading this? And and this is why this they aren't educated in the way they need to be. The government is not was not helping by any means because they looked at it as an evil spirit versus a disease what's the time frame of this is this documentary like something people can look up 
Yeah, I have it on Vimeo. I mean, it is bloody old. I was, God, I think I was like 19, 20 at the time. I really had no idea what I was doing, getting myself into it. I had this old video camera, mini VS tape, you know, those little tiny tape video mm-hmm. cameras, the HD, whatever. Oh, yeah, almost I like the Macaulay Culkin, like, yes. yeah. Big old chunker. My grandma would drive me around and like through these townships. It was wild, yeah. So were you just deciding I want to be a filmmaker and I'm in South Africa with my family, like let's go do something? Yeah, well, I went I went to film school and I was always interested in film. I had like a little production company at the time. I was mm-hmm. living in Telluride. I was filming um, like races and action sports and weddings. And I just got this camera and I wanted to do this documentary on AIDS. And I, I think I felt drawn to South Africa, obviously, because where my family came from. Yeah. And I always, when we visit, I had questions as to, you know, why the ladies had white paste on their faces or why they were looking sick or I didn't understand. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to take a deeper dive into it. How how does that happen? If you go out there, do you, do you just go up to random people and say, Hey, I'm trying to learn help. Like I want to learn. I would. And people were very open. I interviewed quite a lot of like younger kids. Mm-hmm. to get their take on it. I worked with a woman that, um, Ubuntu, I believe it was called, and she would do this company where the the women with AIDS would bead the most beautiful tapestries and all the money would go to helping keep them alive, really. Mm-hmm. And she owned this farm where they all worked, but they were always dying and the kids have, would have it and it was horrible. So I just would travel around with these people a week at a time. Mm. And get different takes on it really from different locations throughout, you know, Cape Town area. What else did you learn out there? God, what do you not learn out there? So much stuff. I mean, there's, I just never thought that what AIDS can do to the body and how it's different for everybody. Um, it would cause like birth defects. And things like that so i'd worked in an orphanage too during this time yeah and a lot of these kids ha- had you know mental disabilities from it and birth defects like that weird eye or something this this really is this is a really good topic to be on um but i want to ask you as as an American, do you feel like when you come stateside, AIDS is like, in my opinion, for most people, AIDS is a thing that happened in the 80s here. Yeah, like doesn't really exist here like it does there. And I'm telling you why is because of this, the way they view it, the way they've been taught to view it as a evil spirit. Yeah, I mean, it is, it would be cool if we could just nail condoms to people's doors and I mean, not to yeah, make light of it, but that, that'd be pretty rad, you know? Yeah, to sort that out. But they didn't grasp it. They didn't grasp it. I mean, even their president, um, he had claimed, he had been known, it was known by people that he had raped his maid who had AIDS. And he said, no, he doesn't have it because he took a shower afterwards. I mean, that's coming from the president. So right. it's all this idea of keeping people completely uneducated and having them believe a certain way that that's why it's there the way it is there versus here 
as you've gone back over the years, I'm guessing this documentary was at least like 10 years ago. So yeah, even more. Um, do you think that the knowledge of AIDS has improved, like from a scientific standpoint there? I think every 10 years, probably, yes. Mm -hmm. Africa takes a, a hot minute, you know? They're always about 10 years behind, I think. Mm -hmm. I think it's getting better, but I haven't spent enough time back in those situations to really know. Yeah. And do you feel like a responsibility as someone who tried to go out there and document to like keep up with it? It's been a long time, but that kind of thing can change your yeah. world completely. Oh, yeah. I mean, I would love to go back to South Africa and, and stay a lot longer with family. And there's a lot I'd like to do out there. Charity wise, a lot of my family members are heavily involved in stuff and get involved with them. Yeah, you do feel a responsibility. Everybody should feel somewhat of a responsibility to do something good for somebody before it's over. Right, right. Huh. Amazing story. Um, I don't really know where to take it from there. I, I think yeah. you, <laughs> you guys can. We went through a, a huge. <laughs> list of topics there some were fun some were a little dark yeah but maybe that's the essence of south africa in a way yeah it's fun but there's also there's darkness just like anywhere there's a lot of history there i mean that place is old i stayed in some hotels that were so old like a hundred years old it's weird feeling in there yeah i i think it's ancient i would love to talk to somebody uh if Actually, we have listeners in South Africa. So if anybody like lives there and wants to reach out and give me a view from another side of this, um, I would love to broadcast that as well. Because Natalie and I, like, we're still Westerners. We go in, right, globally speaking, we're wealthy individuals. Um, maybe in America, maybe not. But if we go to another country, generally speaking, we would be. So I'd love to talk to somebody that's not in that position and help us understand your point of view, your side, what's going on there. Um, yeah, that'd be great. Natalie, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, you guys can follow her on Instagram. It's a great way to keep up with adventures and wingsuits and motorcycles and even avocado farms. Um, <laughs> I think it's Natalie K. Paladin on Instagram. Mm -hmm. And uh, what's next for you? Actually, I'm packing up the car right now, and we are moving to Colorado for six months out of the year. Well, we will be following your travels on the gram. Uh, thanks again for coming on the show and giving us some insight. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. The Get Lost Podcast is a production of Sold Outside Exploration Company. Follow the show at getlostpod.com or on Instagram at getlostpodcasts.